Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Martin Luther King Jr. Hello and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. On this episode, we have Bob Tuscan. We're going to go right into it and let Bob speak for himself. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. There is a lot to talk about in this short amount of time we have together today, so I'll get right to it. All right. Sounds great. The essence of the mind control in today's world is scarcity, and scarcity is something that I think a lot of people recognize as being a major manipulating tool. However, I don't think people realize how prevalent it is and how pivotal it is to the powers that shouldn't be and their agenda. I agree with that. And what I mean by that ultimately is that if you look at the way in which human beings for thousands of years have operated, you'll find certain behaviors. And these behaviors are different than our nature. So oftentimes we get a confused notion of what is human nature and we confuse it with human behavior. Human nature, ultimately, in my eyes, is one of which is based in love and higher level thinking and philosophy and so on and so forth. We're the only species of animals on this planet that loves beyond our kinship, that has certain principles t involved with with the way in which we treat each other, which is also, you know, oftentimes taken and manipulated to, to create such horrific evil. Um, so it does go both ways, don't get me wrong. But we carry within us a nature that is very different than the rest of the so-called animal kingdom. And although we are animals, we're not animals. We're human beings, and we are being dehumanized on so many levels through basically scarcity-based mind control methods. And social Darwinism and this idea of Darwinism is one of the ways in which in the last 100 plus years we've been ingrained to think of human beings as these creatures that are simply going through the same process of survival of the fittest as all the other animals but um, Darwin actually wrote in his own writings that human beings are not of this same sort of very primitive mindset. That we, again, within us carry certain um, methods and actions that the rest of the animal kingdom does not have. And we ha are perhaps custodians of nature, And he writes about survival of the fittest, this term that he's been now notoriously known for coining very few times. He hardly mentions it, in fact, in, in his huge body of writing. And instead, he focuses on love and human beings' nature of, you know, this romantic, um, higher ethical morality that we we have, this uh, natural law that we are able to understand intellectually. So I think that when you look at that, that differentiation between us and animals and how the scarcity of the animal kingdom uh, it has been carried over to us as a tool of manipulation and a tool of not necessarily manipulation, but a and not necessarily a tool, but a fact of life that's not a fact of life in all actuality because now we have the ability to create an abundance. And now we have the ability to create more than ever before through technology and so on and so forth. And the powers that shouldn't be are scared to death of that. <laughs> this is a major threat to the way they've been operating for thousands of years because they've always counted on the scarcity. They've always counted on this mindset and they themselves have been victims of this 
scarcity-based mind control. Um, and as a result, they've tried to maintain control because that's what you do. When you're in that sort of environment, that's how you behave. So if we can get beyond that and if we can stick it to the man and let them know that we're no longer uh, buying it, no pun intended, <laughs> and we are of a higher evolution here, for lack of a better term, we can really get beyond the huge hierarchy and control structure that's been in place, like I said, for thousands of years. I completely agree with everything you just said. Well, it's it was kind of a rant that was a bit convoluted, um, maybe, and you know, there's so many different elements to this that sometimes I have a hard time organizing it because if you look at the way in which it comes up, it, it's everywhere. So in my talk at the Free Your Mind conference, I spoke on the various ways in which scarcity is used outside of just scarcity of physical goods and monetary value, right? So that's the traditional notion of scarcity is that I only have so many eggs or so many tomatoes or whatever it is. Right. But that scarcity concept goes beyond that. And it also has to do with the scarcity of a number of different um, ideas, if you will, or the scarcity of certain feelings and so on and so forth, so on and so forth, excuse me. What I mean by that is, for instance, your health. If you're not healthy, you have a scarcity of health and you're feeling ill. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So there's a scarcity of your well-being and that scarcity of health is another form of scarcity. Um, if you're not safe, if you're not sovereign, if you're not protected, if you're not well, then you're in fear and you're in disarray. Uh, and that's a scarcity of being well or being safe, right? So there's a scarcity connected to this notion of security. And we know that a major theme in the last 15 years, if not a lot longer, well, in fact, for a lot longer, but it's really come into focus in the last 15 years with 9-11, mm -hmm. we know that there's a huge emphasis on the fact that we need to trade our liberties for security, right? right? Yeah. So you're not safe. You're not safe. And that's the focus on the scarcity of being safe. So what we're then taught to do in this problem-reaction-solution dialectic <laughs> is to say, well, um, you know, I'm in this state of scarcity and therefore we need to compensate by doing all these different things. And usually these things are dictated by certain power brokers and so on and so forth. You know how all that works. Yes. Uh, trauma, that's another version of this scarcity. You know, this trauma is a form of scarcity in the sense that uh, the opposite of trauma would be, I don't know, security, not security, but hmm. bliss. Would, bliss. So yeah, to a certain degree. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably right on the money. So if we're not in a state of bliss, we're in a state of trauma and that's a scarcity based um, sort of equation there as well. So th this scarcity form of mind control takes many different forms. And ultimately, when we start to identify this, in my eyes, I started, you know, putting together all these puzzle pieces and saying, holy shit, this is the root of so many different elements of control in today's world. Well, it seems like the powers that should not be, I like the way you put that, it's constantly keeping people in a fight or flight mentality by the constant bombardment, like you were mentioning, the the trauma. Uh, I think anyone who looks into these sort of things knows that uh, trauma is used for mind control to one degree or another. Sometimes it's direct mind control, like the old MK Ultra programs, where they're doing direct things to an individual to create certain situations, or it's done on a mass scale, usually used with the, the mainstream media. 
Right. That's exactly right. The media, I mean, they're a huge proponent of scarcity-based mind control, uh, and you'll see it in many different forms. Marketing is, is one arena that scarcity has always been a pivotal part of. You know, we look back at some of the early marketers, whether it be Edward Bernays mm-hmm. or whoever it might be, mm-hmm. and there's a major influence of scarcity in their techniques. You know, the limited time only, while supplies last. They convince you that you want it and you need it, whatever it happens to be, and then bombard you over and over and over again until you comply. Pretty much. And it's a knee-jerk reaction that so many people, whether they do it subconsciously or completely consciously, they don't realize it. And Pavlov, the famous behavioralist, really exemplified this in an experiment he did with chickens. Have you heard this before? Not the chickens one. Go ahead and let's uh, let's hear about that. Yeah, so everybody knows about the dogs that mm-hmm. Pavlov did, uh, or that Pavlov experimented with, rather. Well, he also experimented with chickens where he provided these chickens with an abundance of food and water. So whenever they were hungry, they would always have access to this food and water, complete abundance. And they acted like chickens and, you know, they pecked at the food and water and so on and so forth. Well, he then wanted to find out what would happen if scarcity was introduced, then taken away, then reintroduced and so on and so forth. So he began to introduce scarcity, take away some of the food, and then he reintroduced the food again. And basically what he came away with um, after doing all this was that the chickens' behaviors changed. They became more likely to steal from one another when the food was scarce. And then when it was in abundance, they started to hoard the food for the first time. (laughs) They started to do all these things that um, had not been done before. A pecking order was very much established. All of this was a result of scarcity. In fact, under certain conditions of scarcity, not only would they steal from one another, but he could even get them to kill one another. Mm. Hmm. This sounds familiar. Yeah, and I hate to use this example because, you know, I'm talking about chickens here, and I have some chickens in my in my backyard homestead that I got going, and I love my chickens. I hold, I carry my chickens around, and they're they're the sweetest things ever. I got to tell you, I didn't think I would have such a bond with with a chicken, but I do. I love my chickens, and, and in fact, Jason, um, quick aside. I got a double yoker yesterday for the first time for my chickens. <laughs> That's awesome. I was in love. I was. This was awesome. And I found that I like uh, to eat eggs uh, in the soft-boiled uh, way. You know, I, I I have some egg eating fatigue. Kind of. I'm going on a huge side tangent here, and I don't care, <laughs> folks. Too bad. Stay tuned here. I'll get to the good stuff in a second. But I I realized that. Eating my eggs um, prepared and as uh, soft boiled. You know, have you ever had a soft boiled egg? Is that where you drop it in hot water? Yeah, you just drop it in hot water, but you don't let it quite get all the way hard. Right, the yolk is still somewhat soft. Right, in the center, it's delicious that way, man. I can eat. I ate five of those last night. Well, just to kind of agree with you there, there is definitely a a uh, distinct taste difference between a farm fresh egg. And a store-bought egg that they've bleached and God only knows what else they've done to it. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. Whenever you produce something yourself or you get it from a local source or a farm fresh source, you know, it's always going to be better whether that's psychological or not. I don't know. No, because the color is even different. Yeah, you can see the difference in the color. Yeah, that's exactly right. And just to segue back into the scarcity-based discussion, (laughs) um, having these chickens lay these eggs in my yard – has been so awesome because now we have an abundance of eggs. I can't keep up with it. So I get I get to give away eggs for free to my friends and family. And that's that's great. I, I almost like that better than eating the eggs myself. Um again, that's a product of having an abundance of eggs. If I had to have this scarcity of eggs or use the scarcity based token known as money to get eggs, I might not have the same luxury of 
gifting and giving away eggs. And ultimately, I think food, and we'll get to this in a minute, uh, should be in abundance. And there's no reason why we have a billion people on this planet no. starving to no, death. There's, there's no reason in this modern technological age that that should happen anywhere. It's complete bullshit. And it's 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 satanic, man. I got to tell you, it's evil to see these hungry children. And I hate to you know use that cliche example of the starving kids in Africa, that meme, if you will. But I mean, folks, this is real. It's not just in the movies. These people are starving. And there's no need for it. No, absolutely no need. So anyways, back to the chickens for just a moment. And I'm not sure where I left off at this point. I do that to myself sometime. You were giving away eggs to your neighbors because you have so many. Okay, giving away eggs, but back to the Pavlov experiment. He could get these chickens to kill one another. And even though you might say, well, we're human beings, we're not chickens. The same idea behind this, the same takeaway from this should, without blinking, seem intuitively to fit with the human behavior. Notice I didn't say the human condition. Mm. The human behavior that we see in today's world and have seen for thousands of years. Yes, folks, we are manipulated like the chickens are manipulated to steal, to be greedy, to hoard, and so on and so forth from one another. And this is being kept in place by some psychopathic individuals. And they are psychopaths. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we Look at the definition of psychopathy. It fits them to the T. But if we look at this notion uh, of scarcity and how it's like this case of the chickens able to manipulate us, we see that we're victims of this and not necessarily because of some uh, original design. Because remember, Jason, these power brokers the power, or the powers that shouldn't be, as I like to say, um, they're very much have they've very very much have been victims of this same conditioning because hundreds of years ago, and even well longer than that, thousands and thousands of years ago, these conditions were more realistically in place. In other words, we didn't have the same abilities that we have in today's world right so these things um not only affected the common man but affected the group of people that developed their tribe mentality and their psychopathic reaction and they just happened to float to where they are now and when the shift happened in today's world you know, we look at the Industrial Revolution and some of the technological advancements. They were not ready to let go because they have been so conditioned. Their bloodlines have been traumatized with their ritualistic trauma-based abuse for th thousands of years that, you know, it's not just so easy to say, oh, well, now we can live in a utopia and let go of our uh, complete look complete megalomaniac plans, right? <laughs> you know, it's not just that easy for them to let go. And it's going to be a process. And there's also a spiritual element because they've sold their souls for so long, right? So it's not like, you know, it. it's not like they can just turn around and, and let go of the karma um, that has been built uh, and has been collected over these thousands of years of these conditions and these reactions to these crazy conditions. Does any of this make sense? Oh, yes. Completely to me. So ultimately, it's time now that you and I get beyond all of this scarcity, get beyond all the mind control. And that's where the second part of my talk came into play. Uh, and this is the Cliff Notes version uh, if you will, please check out the lecture that I gave at the Free Your Mind conference. But the title of the talk, again, was Scarcity-Based Mind Control. And I could go on and on and on about the mind control. One of the things, Jason, that in my own life I'm most excited about is focusing on the second part of the, talk, the title of my talk, which is The Liberation of the Mind, Body, and Spirit. And I comprised it of 
into three parts, not because of some sort of Trinity-based religious rationale, but more so because I find it to be and there's there's other other elements, but I find that I find that the mind, you know, knowledge and learning and understanding and psychology and those sort of things and philosophy is very important. The body is a pivotal part of this because so many of these scarcity based techniques are used to go after our physical well-being. And then the, the third part, the spirit, because, I don't know, I seem to think that, as I mentioned before, there's some sort of karmic, you know, and I, I hesitate here because I'm not the most religious person or spiritual person really for that matter. However, um, with an agnostic perspective, I kind of think that there might be something to the fact that uh, there is some sort of big picture here that goes beyond our physical incarnation. I think most people feel that even if they don't know what it is. I mean, I've had personal experiences right. proving spirituality to me, but not everyone has. Yeah, and I don't think you have to have had that experience to leave room for that part of the discussion. You know, I, th I think that ultimately we should still consider that part of, of this and consider the fact that whether we like it or not, the satanic elements have a spiritual bend on this world that we live in. Well, we also have to remember that the uh, elite of this world, no matter what you believe in, religion, right? they absolutely do. Yeah, that's my point. Exactly right. So, you know, regardless if we think some of these rituals that they do are hokey, and they are, believe me, you know, <laughs> I can point to several of them, whether it's the cremation of care, or, mm. you know, whatever the hell these stupid rituals are in their stupid costumes and their sick, sick practices. But there's a point behind it, and they are firmly believing that there's a point behind it right. and, and acting upon it. They believe that they're calling on satanic spirits and blah, 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 or whatever they're... They're putting into action the are. things they want through these rituals. Yeah, and you can call it black magic, you can call it whatever you want, but... Well, the bottom line is they're trying to enforce their will upon the world. And they're doing so utilizing a spiritual bend. You know, just the connotation of, of spirit doesn't necessarily... Um, really give it do it justice because most people think of it in a more benevolent manner, right? right? So you think of spiritual, you kind of think of new age, you know, um, you think of a positive and enlightening sort of version of it. Well, let's be honest; they don't want people realizing that how important that could possibly be because it it helps them maintain control and, right. and, and they, giving and they, them an edge. They, they rather you have this naive look at, at spirituality as just this, you know, uh, positive and uplifting sort of new age um, image or religious image. But spirituality also has to do with their version of it, which is by no way, shape or form a positive and um, beneficial look at and not beneficial, but the point is, they're evil. There's evil spirituality, just like there's good spirituality. Mm -hmm. You know, there's two ends of uh, the spectrum here. So, anyways, um, so that's interesting. But I think that my major focus these days, for whatever reason, seems to center around the body portion of that. So we got mind, bot the liberation of the mind, body, and spirit. And because I have a son who's now three, and even before that, I've always kind of valued being able to eat for some reason. I don't know. You know, you heard me talk about you heard me talking about the eggs. I, I don't know. I for call me crazy, but I've always liked to eat food. Uh, I never really liked starvation. 
you know, I, I grew up and I kind of took a liking to providing nutrients to my for my body. Crazy notion. I know it's it's absolutely insane, dude. And I kind of want to keep that trend going. I kind of would like to continue to be able to feed myself. Uh, and I'm so sorry for those out there that I'm offending with this rhetoric. I, <laughs> I understand it's kind of selfish and egotistical and absolutely insane that um, a humble slave like I, a useless eater like I, mm. would want to continue to maintain, to sustain my life uh, in this physical body. Um, and I kind of realized that if I depend on some scumbags that can flip a switch and take out our system at any time to not flip a switch and take out our system at any time, that I'll be left quite vulnerable to no longer be able to eat uh, and have water for that matter. Uh, I like to drink water too, by the way. Um, and actually, Jason, interesting fact about Bob Tuscan, I prefer fluoridated water because it's got a great taste and I really love how docile it makes me feel <laughs> and some of the cancer that it is associated with it. Um, and my IQ was so fucking high that I had to drink some fluoride. It, it was my only choice. Um, <laughs> you know, I had to put that in check, man. I'm sorry, but so anyways, uh, I digress. Um, I like to drink water. I like to eat food. I also like to stay protected uh, in a in a shelter. Um, some people call it a house. Uh, other people call it a um, dormitory, maybe. Domicile. Domicile. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the domicile idea. And I like for that domicile to not have uh, people kicking in the door and threatening me uh, and trying to steal my food and my water that I contain within this domicile. Um, so as a result, I've decided that I kind of would like to have an ability to enforce the protection of this domicile. So... I'm not a violent person and I really don't like guns and I really don't like the idea of guns on some level, but I decided to, um, load up and, uh, get that area covered, you know, just, just as a protection, just as an, an insurance policy of sorts. Uh, so I got that going on and I also have decided that the community I live in I really don't want to have to kill my neighbor because he decided not to prepare um, when shit hits the fan. I, I really don't want to have to kill him because he's trying to come and, uh, you know, steal from my family. So I decided that it would be better that I would go to an area that also is somewhat prepared and that uh, I basically overcompensated for not just my family but for my neighbors as well. So I advocate to them for the sake of uh, not wanting to kill them, of course, um, because that would be an absolutely horrific position to be in. You know, hi, it's your neighbor. We've been neighbors now for 15 years. Um, my son is starving to death, and I know you have only one apple left, so it's between you eating the apple and dying or me eating the apple and dying. Hmm. And I realized that you prepared and I didn't prepare. So uh, I'm going to have to steal that apple for you. And I say, no, you can't steal this apple from me because this is my apple, unfortunately. And I really empathize with the position you're in, but this is my apple. And then you get into this, you know, situation. I want to avoid all of that, right? You know, I don't ever want to have to live that nightmare. Because that is one of the biggest nightmares that I could think of, is having to be in that situation. Meanwhile, some fat cat is watching as everybody else is divided and conquered and fighting amongst themselves and so on and so forth. Remember the chickens. Mm -hmm. Pavlov's watching as everybody else is fighting and he's got he's sitting on a fat stash of chicken food. That's right. So I want to avoid all of that. And I was thinking, you know, that there's a couple ways that I can avoid all of these dilemmas. One way, of course, is to have an abundance of water. The water is a prerequisite to growing food. 
it's a prerequisite to life in general. Uh, so I have moved to a property with a, a well on it. That well right now uh, is in complete abundance. I live in uh, north central Florida and there happens to be something called a karst topography, which is limestone and it's filled with water uh, and these underground springs, if you will, underground um, aquifers are beautiful. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful Un until somebody comes in and starts fracking it all up and so on and so forth. But mm. as of right now, we have an abundance of water here, which is a great resource, and my wealth taps into that. Uh, the next p component of that is that uh, right now my well is dependent on electricity. Well, I'd like to not be dependent on electricity because the electrical grid is extremely vulnerable. Yes, it is. More so than most people realize. Oh, extremely vulnerable. I mean, it, it's it's scary. And meanwhile, we're spending billions of dollars on killing people in the Middle East when we could – for a fraction of the cost, help get that in check, help to prevent an EMP or something, whatever it is, taking down the grid and, and basically leaving it so that it won't be able to come up for a large period of time. And even if it didn't come back up for a month, I mean, that is enough. That's enough to cause insanity oh, in I mean, Western the, culture. The unrest, especially if it was nationwide and, and, and Western culture too. Yeah, there's an emphasis there, Jason, because we have higher expectations and, and higher dependencies. You know, if it was a third world country that's used to not having electricity, that contrast would not be as, you know, as obvious, right? You know, if an African tribe that's used to whittling sticks and making fire and having no air conditioning or refrigeration lost the electricity, oh well, you know, big fucking deal. But with a um, culture like ours, I mean, people, I don't know what people are going to do. I mean, forget not having a refrigeration. No dancing with the stars? Are you kidding me? <laughs> football, man. That's the one everybody's football? obsessed with. Are you kidding me? No football? Oh my God, that would create huge unrest. That alone. You know, forget the refrigeration thing and the you know all that other stuff. Well, the beer so, wouldn't be cold. That could be a problem. And I want to throw this out hard. here for people who don't actually realize it. I've heard the proposal that needs to be done to safeguard the complete infrastructure for the electrical grid in the country. And it's – I don't remember the exact number. It's a couple billion dollars. And it's just not being pursued. But it can be done so that if anything happened – you well, know, money's, any, money's fake. Um, well, it is, so, yes. But. So, but regardless, if you were to put it in, in monetary terms, you're exactly right. It's a fraction of the cost of what we're already spending on absolutely fruitless things, right? Well, well the thing I wanted to point out is they're not bothering to do it. So let that sink no. in. It can be done. It's not even a big deal. It's just more of a question of the large scale it would have to be done on, not the complexity of it. Right. But they're not doing it. So just let that sink in. We are vulnerable and the people who could do something about it are not. Well, we're the people that could do something about it uh, on some level, though. And that's the thing. We're not going to be able to do it on the mass level because it's clear that certain people who help to manage those things are neglecting it. Right. So, so we'll it must be done to, on a personal basis. It's got to be done on a personal basis, right. So we're going to have to go from the macro to the micro on this and take it into our own hands because, well, ultimately um, there's a bunch of incompetent assholes that are missing the ball on this, whether it's on purpose or not, who knows. But it seems like criminal negligence in my mind. Yes, I could agree with that. Now back to the water well. So right now the water pump in the well is hooked up to the grid. And I, I do not have enough Federal Reserve notes in my personal life to do the whole solar thing. Although, you know, if I had enough, that will be a step that I would like to get to. But for now, I have limited Federal Reserve notes, and that's kind of how our system works. And as a result, my water needs to be depended on 
outside of the grid still. So what do I do, right? I don't have um, the means to, you know, provide the energy via solar. And I don't want to be completely dependent on the grid always being there. You know, at some point I, I w- would like to um, not be dependent on the grid. Well, it's a personal vulnerability for you. Sure, sure. So how do I get access to that water in case the grid goes down with the understanding that I, I can't afford solar at the moment? And the simple solution to that was not so simple. It was still kind of expensive. But I, I have a hand pump that I installed on my water well. And that hand pump will allow for me to manually pump water from the earth. I know it's a revolutionary concept that uh, you can use your physical energy to pump water and have access to water no matter what. Hmm. So good. So that's good. I'm, I'm covered there. That's a great solution to my water issue. So now I have some water uh, access no matter what. And also having that hand pump will allow me to provide water to my neighbors too if, if need be. Um, because as of right now, thanks to the rain and, and the water in our aquifers here, I have access to that. Now, if you're in California or in elsewhere, you might have to come up with a different solution. But for me, that's that's what's working. All right, so we've talked about the shelter. I have a shelter at the moment. I live in a house. I have water. Now I have to figure out how to sustain life uh, outside of going to the store. Because as you know, Jason, the stores at any given time only have about two days worth of food. Yep. And they get it from trucks typically bringing that food in from thousands of miles away. Most of it's processed nastiness anyways. Very little of it is fresh and wholesome. And That's another example of the scarcity control though. Oh, yeah. They've got everyone dependent on that idea and people don't realize – one break in that chain and all of a sudden that store is empty. Sure. And they also don't realize that how much of that can be insourced. You know, the people in my community that grow a garden quickly understand that that's a great way to provide abundance and to help uh, sustain. But that being said, you're not going to wake up one night and be able to grow your own food. And sustain on that 100%. In other words, for those people out there who think that they can just stock up on some seed packages and when shit hits the fan, all of a sudden they're going to be able to grow their own food and sustain their lives. They got another thing coming because (laughs) it is extremely difficult. That being said, I'm not trying to intimidate people, but I'm just trying to encourage you to get into the practice of that right now before it's too late and also reach out to your community and find local farmers and CSAs and that kind of a thing so that you can have a collective effort and start to um, find ways in which to grow not just uh, enough food for you and your family but enough food for your community and, and figure out the potential hazards or the potential issues that could come up. So in other words, I just grew a bunch of squash in my garden this year, hard squash, winter squash. And it just got completely annihilated. Something happened where it was like a mildew or a mold or I don't know what the hell it is. I, I need to do some more research on what happened here because it basically took out my, my plants – and I was left with only four or five uh, butternut squash and gourds and pumpkins or whatever. If I was dependent on that, I would be fucked. You know, excuse my language, but that's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. So if I'm dependent on an instant successful garden, then I'm going to have a hard time when that mold or whatever it was, hits my squash crop and uh, I'm without the same food that I was counting on, right? So it makes, it makes sense in my mind to, to start 
practicing and getting ready and growing this food and also deciding what food is going to sustain the nutrients that you that you and your family need for for sustaining life so there are some plants that you may want to grow some plants you might not want to grow uh, there's some methods that you might want to use in farming that are beneficial to you and your soil and won't deplete your soil and that'll provide a long-term way in which you can sustain life um, Permaculture is, in my mind, one of the most sound philosophies uh, in this realm. And I could do a whole show on permaculture and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I'll just leave it as kind of a, a note here. Permaculture and organic gardening and that kind of thing are very important. But they come with some, from, with some uh, possible... Um, issues that you might not be expecting, and, and as a result, you got to get on board with that, and you got to start practicing that and, and learning as much as you can, while you're not completely dependent on it. So, in other words, you, you know, you better better learn now while you can. You still can if you have to go to your backup plan, which is the, the store or whatever. You know, we we do it, but um, you at the very least, will establish the experiences that you need to be able to do it somewhat successfully when the time comes. Well, basically what you're saying is, in a general statement, knowledge is power, and this is self-empowerment. You need to know how to do these things. Even if you're not living off of it every single day, you do need to be familiar with how to do these things. Right, and experience is also power. Try learning through trial and tribulations Right. So that those there are some things that you really need to I don't know. That's how I learn. For instance, I learn I'm a hands on kind of learner. So there are some things that I need to actually experience in order to be able to know. And, you know, things look a certain way on paper, but they don't always end up that way in reality. And gardening and preparation is a, a major arena in which that's the case. So you got the food stuff that you should work on. You know, you should stock up on some dried food as well, whether it's freeze-dried food. You should get a dehydrator. You should learn how to can. You should do all these things because, again, going back to my original premise, um, I don't like to be uh, in a scarcity state when it comes to food because I, like I, I like to eat. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, a prerequisite to my life is eating. So – Get that food stuff figured out. So we got – let's see. Where do we where do we stand here, Jason? Let's look at um, our list here. We got uh, water, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got security. Mm-hmm. Click, click, boom, boom. Um, we have food. Uh, we should talk about Band-Aids. Okay. Because our health is another really important thing. And there are so many things with allopathic medicine that stand in the way of, of us being healthy. Uh, and there are so many things in the grocery store that stand in the way of us being healthy. So hand, uh, um, so food and health kind of go hand in hand. You know, the Hippocratic Oath, uh, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food, right? Absolutely. So as we start to shift here and and – get this food into our body that we're growing hopefully and we start to see that this goes hand in hand with the fact that we're actually providing ourselves with more nutrients yada 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 we start to realize that there's also a number of different elements here in regards to health that we should figure out so in other words if you go to the hospital because you got shot and your legs falling off the hospital comes into some sort of usefulness at that point. But for everything, for pretty much anything else, I've found that if you start to prepare for these things preemptively, so you start to put the right things in your body and start to take certain precautions so that certain things don't go up, come up, 
And if you start to understand that there are ways in which you can protect yourself when these things do come up, if they do come up, if some of the damage you've done perhaps has gone too far in your life, then you start to, again, not be dependent on the allopathic medicine mafia that is so pivotal in the scarcity-based mind control that in this case takes the form of medical insurance and health care and whatever you want to call it, you know, the hospital and so on and so forth. So what are some ways in which we do that? Well, we've talked about ways we get my water. We talked about ways in which get my food. Well, we could talk about some simple things that you can do right off the bat. Omitting a ton of different things from your diet and from your lifestyle. And at the Free Your Mind lecture that I gave, I gave a list of probably 50 plus things that you should just simply remove. Whether it's aspartame, BHT, uh, high fructose corn syrup, uh, fluoride. Oh, wait, I like fluoride. That's right. (laughs) Let's just throw this out there here. I know you're being sarcastic, but fluoride is horrendously bad for you. It is? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Just wanted to make sure uh, we get that part clear. <laughs> I, I, I mean, come on. Is anybody listening to this right now that's saying, oh, I Bob know, right? fluoride? But I make no assumptions, so I'm just going to say that on the air. Hey, You're by the way, fluoride is bad for you. People hate my sarcasm sometimes. <laughs> it's because I take for granted that um, everybody uh, gets it. But all right, all right. So, yeah, fluoride is actually bad. Yeah, okay. Um, so – you know, but the the list of things is huge. Simple solution. Don't put these things in your body. I mean, wow, it's revolutionary. Uh, I mean, I've just come up with with a revolutionary thought. I'm I'm really a, a an iconoclastic icon here. So that's pretty simple. And then, what are ways in which you can protect yourself? What are some cures, if you will, for lack of a better term. And it depends what it is. But you can start to develop a repertoire of things to utilize to protect yourself. And that runs the gamut from colloidal silver, which I'm fond of. I am as well. To, I don't know, B17 laetrile. Mm. To cannabis. Mm -hmm. Cannabis. You know, I ate cannabis. All right. So the list of things you can do on that front, the band-aids, if you will. And yes, you might want to have some actual bandages on hand as well. You know, it, it's not a bad thing to know how to stitch yourself up, for instance. Those things come in handy. But that's a pivotal part of the body aspect of this and taking the scarcity parameters out and shifting towards abundance in in that realm. All right, so now we got water, we got food, we got security, and we have Band-Aids, health. What else am I missing here? Hmm. Those are the biggies in my mind. That right there is pretty substantial. And yes, you can look at other things like arts, intellectual, philosophy, if you will, learning. Uh, but that goes back to the mind. And, and that's very important. You know, we, we're, we are, uh, this sounds cliche, but we are social creatures on some level. Yes, definitely. You know, we like music. We like music. Mm-hmm. I know, it's crazy. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying music. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, you know, we look at some theories of how human beings sort of evolved and many of these scientists and uh, anthropologists look at these paintings in the caves. What do they call those? The hieroglyphics? Something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's I think somewhat, I think that's, the that's term. an example. All right, so they look at these paintings in caves and they see this, you know, artistic expression that's developed. And you look at shamans and amphiogens and kind of this um, 
breakthrough of human expression and culture, and it is pretty cool. It is pretty neat. Uh, and I think that um, that needs to be there too. We need, a, we need to hold on to culture on some level, not the aberrant culture, but the, the beautiful culture that we have as human beings. I would say, especially since we know that thousands and thousands of years ago, primitive man did such things, that we have an inherent need for self-expression. We do. We do. And we should come up with positive outlets to have um, these renaissance eras and periods in, in human development. And I think I think that's good stuff. I, I don't know uh, if anybody out there could come up with some valid reasons why we should omit culture and arts, uh, and maybe not the word culture, but definitely arts from our, our human uh, society, if you will. All right. So that's uh, another component um, that um, some might argue needs to be there. And outside of that, I think that's the gist of it. Now, what don't we need constant abundance of? Uh, fluff and bullshit, um, <laughs> celebrity gossip, Kim Kardashian's ass, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, and uh, all the other nonsense. That kind of art and culture uh, is only leading towards the decrepit nature of, of – of, that to me in my mind is an assault on human culture, if you will. That kind of thing, that dumbed down um, – is a, that dumbed down version of arts and culture and programming and mind control and the television and this kind of thing is all a, a very scary aspect of where we're headed and it and it shows that we're you know we're really uh devolving in many respects when you look at 200 years ago and you see that there was you know uh, these composers and all of you, you look at kind of the the reading and literature and you know that kind of thing and sure more people were illiterate at that time but nonetheless you kind of look at the arts and culture, and it was very different. Uh, there was much more substance and thought to it. And now it's, it, it, well, need I say more? Too much of it's controlled now and sure. and contrived for not the right reasons. It's dumbed down, and, you know, there's all sorts of influences and homosexual influences, in my mind, are are revved up. Um, unnaturally, um, and I, you know, I hate to go that direction because by no means am I someone who judges anyone to each their own. I'm very much fond of natural law and the idea that if you're not harming me, you know, this libertarian notion, right? I, I'm, I'm cool with all that, dude, and I really am, but I feel like just like we're being manipulated by scarcity, we're also being manipulated in all sorts of other areas and sexuality is one of those ways in which we're manipulated. And perhaps this thought just came up. There are scarcity-based te uh, tentacles in, in the sexual uh, aberrant um, you know, breakdowns that we're experiencing in our culture today. You know, this uh, – I don't know. Uh, I'll have to give that more thought, but well, they're destroying people's confidence in themselves with unrealistic body images. I, I think that's one thing that could definitely be said in in the sexual department. So, so there's a scarcity of um, your self-image, right. right? Yeah, a, a scarcity of confidence, a scarcity of um, content with being in love uh, and in, in a genuine manner. And I don't know they're, they're, who knows, we could probably develop a whole new, um, thought on, on all of that. All right. So that's basically the rundown of where I come out of all of this. Uh, when I look at the fact that scarcity creates these problems, I, I come out of it with understanding that when we take an abundance-based approach 
to all of these various areas, we're just going to come away better off and not as vulnerable. And to me, that's as straightforward as you can get with any of this information. So for those listening out there who are a lot like ourselves, Jason, you go down this rabbit hole and you start to get you know, all sorts of stuff and you're focused on this power structure and these people and you're, you're, you're kind of focusing on the groups, the Jews, the, the Vatican, the reptilians and, you, <laughs> you know, and, and this false flag and that false flag. And, and believe me, I, I am a, a student of all of this. I, I value understanding this and I, I have a genuine desire to learn and, and a genuine curiosity to, to try to wrap my head around this existence and the players and so on and so forth. But ultimately, I had to come to some sort of head w- with this and and kind of break it down and into its essence. And that's kind of what I've attempted to do here is break it down to its essence and then, of course, come – you know, when you go out after a cancer, for instance, you go to the root cause of that cancer and you don't get as caught up in some of the other components. So I tried to break it down. And to its essence, and then I tried to come away with the solutions to these issues. And if the powers that shouldn't be can utilize the problem reaction solution and play on that and, and use that to manipulate us and to use that in aberrant manners, well, we should also realize that once we identify the problems, there needs to be a reaction to lead to a solution. Couldn't agree more. All right. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. We'll talk later. Bye. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, taking everything you just said, actually, why don't we go into the Free Your Mind Conference, what it is you're you're really trying to do to make a difference? Yeah, I appreciate that. And the Free Your Mind Conference is an outlet of many different puzzle pieces, uh, and it doesn't necessarily speak to you know, my narrow perspective, right? So everybody's got all these different um, perspectives. And I, I really am a fan of the notion of collecting puzzle pieces. And when they fit, they fit. When they don't fit, you don't necessarily discard them. But you don't necessarily force them in, you know, where, you know, people f- try to fit a, a round peg into a square hole. It doesn't work. So you kind of hold it on to the side and, and keep that agnostic perspective on learning. So the Free Your Mind Conference is a symposium of many different pieces to that puzzle. And it's a great excuse for us to take some of these minds and meet together and create momentum and synergy that can't be created in just a series of interviews. As, as powerful as this sort of interview is, and this sort of media is, there's something to be said about like-minded individuals coming together in unison, or not necessarily in unison, forget that I said that, because I don't necessarily latch on to this idea that we need to have this kumbaya, you know, <laughs> we're all on the same page bullshit. No, I, we, I, I welcome diverging perspectives and, and and a constructive dialogue, right? So I'm all for that. The point being, the Free Your Mind Conference takes people from all over that have this very loosely connected common purpose of trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and how to deal with it all, right? And they come together and create this synergy that cannot be found um, pretty much in any other arena that's virtual. In other words, it, it really helps to <clears throat> I'm, I'm making this far too wordy. The bottom line is it's badass to get together with a bunch of people, learn from each other, bond and develop relationships and communication and dialogue to help. And there's, something to be said about this uh, being done in a conference form. So I'm trying to differentiate a conference from everything else, and the conference is badass, and the Free Your Mind conference is badass in the last 
three times we've done it because we really come together and and get this this energy that can't be found in any other way. Well, I think there's a huge huge thing that can be said about actually being under the same roof with like-minded people. And that doesn't mean you do agree on everything, but I think you're all there for the same reason and that you want to better yourselves uh, to learn more. And being there with right. other people, having a cup of coffee with somebody that, you know, you may have been a thousand miles apart from the day before, you know, every everyone being together, I think it's just, it creates a different form of bond that you may not get just being on a keyboard. Well, the other thing is we feel so alone. You know, we, we feel in doing this, a lot of us feel very isolated. This um, kind of information can definitely make you feel that way because you start realizing that the majority of the planet is against you. Exactly. So so when you're in a concentrated environment, you're, it, you come away with it with a great sense of empowerment. You're like, holy shit, other people out there, they get it. And you come away with it with this great feeling and energy. Um, and that's what the conference, in my mind, accomplishes. You know, it, it, yes, there's brilliant minds that happen to be the speakers at this conference. You know, whether it's Mark Passio, Jordan Maxwell, Kathy O'Brien, Max Egan, uh, whoever it might be. Yes, it's a great excuse to get to hang out with these guys too and learn from them uh, through their talks. But it's it's be it goes beyond that, and I, I don't know if I can articulate that as as well as I'd like to. But ultimately, I feel like you got to be there to experience it, and it's worth your while. So check it out, freeyourmindconference.com. Uh, this is going to be the fourth conference, April fifteenth, sixteenth, and seventeenth, just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, it also happens to be my my thirtieth birthday this year. Awesome. Yeah, it just happened to correlate uh, with the dates of the conference. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, well, thanks, Jason. I appreciate uh, you getting the word out on the conference, man, because it's, it's important. I, it means a lot to me, and it's something that um, I never would have expected to receive so much fulfillment from, to be honest. You know, I, I always thought, ah, well, I could watch the talks online. You know, what the hell do I got to get off my couch for? Um <laughs> And uh, who needs to <clears throat> spend the energy and resources when you can watch it online? No, no, no. I made a mistake and I've proved it to myself just how fulfilling it is to actually go to the conference and do this kind of thing. And how much has it changed your perspective just being around a lot of other people who are open-minded? Oh, immensely, immensely. Uh, it also changed my perspective in the sense that we take for granted sometimes that people aren't aware around us. So for instance, you know, I, I, I met this uh, lady and her child where our kids were playing. And I assumed that this person had no idea about any of the things you and I would talk about. But I like to bring up things in my everyday life like I would on the radio. So I happened to get on a tangent about mind control and Disney mind control in reference to talking about our kids playing. Well, next thing I know, I'm telling her about the Free Your Mind conference. And she says, uh, I say, uh, yeah, I do a conference in Philadelphia. She says, oh, is it called the Free Your Mind conference? And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that this random person who I never in a million years would have expected to know of this. Uh, would actually not only be receptive towards my crazy rant about Disney mind control, but actually knew of the Freer Mind Conference. And she proceeds to say, well, do you know Mark Passio? And I said, yes, I know Mark Passio. I'm Bob Tuscan. And she said, you're Bob Tuscan? Now, obviously, um, I was flattered that somebody knew of my work and it was, you know, a boost uh, of morale for me to, you know, have somebody that I met in my everyday life. But ego aside, I got goosebumps just, you know, with the fact that I met somebody face to face who was in this loop. You know what I mean? It was just very cool to be able to resonate with somebody who on paper I would have just assumed is another person out there uh, that has no idea about what's really going on. 
Well, it probably was a very rewarding feeling knowing that your work is reaching good people and that, hey, I actually met somebody else who is totally on the level with what I'm about. Yep, it was cool. So I continue to see options like that or, or see uh, examples like that. And uh, it's rewarding and it all comes to a head at, at events like the conference and it really um, puts that into focus and concentration. Now, do you have details about this conference you want to get out? FreeYourMindConference.com tickets are on sale now. Uh, limited time only tickets will run out. If you do not buy tickets, they'll run out now. There's only a scarce amount of tickets left. Um, so please buy your tickets now before it's too late, before the world ends. Uh, you will die if you don't buy your tickets. Tickets are in scarce supply uh, only while tickets last and all the other scarcity-based <laughs> manipulations of marketing that I can uh, articulate. Awesome. Uh, what about other websites you have, Bob? I don't know. Uh, I'm a mess. Uh, BobTuscan.com is my home site, but it's really inactive. I don't have time to keep up with things. So FreeYourMindConference.com, all of the videos from the previous Free Your Mind conferences are online and open source, and we continue to do that. But ultimately, I encourage people to go in person if they can. We don't release the videos until eh, about four or five months after the conference uh, for the sake of encouraging people to attend and everything else. So freemindconference.com and uh, that's, that's uh, the gist of my plugs, man. Awesome. Well, Bob, it's been great having you here. Thanks, Jason. You rock. I appreciate it. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. All right. I really enjoyed speaking to Bob. I think you should look into what he's all about and go to the Free Your Mind conference if at all possible. If you would like to communicate with this program, we can be reached at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com. We have the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash secretsofsaturn. And we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash secretsofsaturn. We'll see you soon.